1: Buffalo Wild Wings has specials on food from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, and great deals on drinks all day. It's the perfect way to offset a long day. Text that hilarious joke about your boss to your boss? Like, no, no! Try a $3 Wild Herd by Goose Island. Set your morning alarm for 6 p.m. That calls for $5 strawberry margaritas. So if you ask your phone why you're still single and Ha ha ha. Seriously? Head to Buffalo Wild Wings. At participating locations, taxes and fees apply. Dine in only. Drink responsibly. Offers vary by location, void where prohibited.
2: hello there welcome to another episode of this week in history with me your host dan the viking we have a special episode for you this week and it is one that my dad has put a lot of research in and something that i am going to be listening to as well this is something i have done absolutely zero research on and have no idea what we're talking about i got here today ready to record and dad went i've got this for you have you ever heard of it and i went I haven't got a clue. So this is a, an American version of what we have covered um, with the British versions. But this is something I didn't even know America got involved in. So take it away. What are we talking about?
0: Okay. Uh, well, a lot of people have probably seen your picture on um, the Facebook page. Yes. And a lot of people will probably have thought of one particular thing. The most famous, the most famous the Hindenburg, but uh, not a lot of people know that America the u s actually had their own
2: no i I didn't this no? is like I said for me this is
0: completely new okay now they had um, they actually had five massive great big airships wow, not just the, the one, not just the one so we um should we start, and I'll give you a little bit of uh, information about these things? Yeah, let's go. Should we go with uh, they are believe it or not the ZRS one right through to the ZRS five?
2: Okay, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, pretty simple names. But then, to be very fair, simple names. We called ours the R one hundred and the R one hundred and one. So yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. So right, uh, shall we? So we go right back to the First World War. Right, okay. Wow. And the rigid airship development in Germany was looked on by the world and the US in particular as being the wonder weapon of the war. The airships. Really? Yep. It was the the wonder weapon. Aeroplanes had only been around for a very short period of time. Yeah. Uh, They were small, they were very, very flimsy. Well, yeah, the improvements over the World War One were fantastic, but they actually weren't capable of doing very much, yeah, other than reconnaissance. So, the rigid airships, and there are two types of airships. I'll go into those, uh, but the rigid airship, they had a considerable range and endurance over the aircraft of the day, and they could carry a much heavier payload. Uh, but the Germans throughout the war and, to be honest, afterwards, kept all of their secrets very, very tightly. Um, in World War One, all of the crews were told to destroy their aircraft if they ever got shot down.
2: Wow, okay.
0: All right, so yeah, really uh, you, you hit an airship, plus the fact it's full of hydrogen, it goes bang anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you've yeah, got a lighter set fire to it, it's gone. Yeah. But the night of the 20th of October, 1917, so we're talking fairly close to the tail end of the war, the British had an opportunity to learn the secrets of the, what they called the Zeppelins. Now, there was a German airship, uh, the L-49, It was uh, designated the LZ-96, but uh, that's the German thing, the, the actual Zeppelin company... Called it the LZ 96. When it was commissioned, it became the L 49. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. It crash landed in France. Okay. It was okay. on its way back uh, from a uh, bombing raid over London and <laughs> it crash landed on our side. So it was actually captured before the crew could actually set fire to it. Ah,
2: first glimpse at something new then.
0: First glimpse at something that had been causing. Great Britain, a major headache in the First World War. Now, the US and the British went to work on this thing and they, what you call, reverse-engineered it. That's taking it apart to find out how it works and everything. And both countries went on to produce their own versions of this particular rigid airship. Uh, The British version was the R-38, uh, was later sold to the Americans uh, as the... um, a ZR-2, but initially it was uh, a British airship, and the Americans built their own version, the ZR-1. The ZR-1 was called the Shenandoah. The river. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, Unknown to both sides, or the US and the British at the time, the German airship was what the Germans would call a height climber, and it had been modified to fly high enough to avoid British ground fire. Okay. So it was designed to fly at 20,000 feet.
2: Yeah, which makes
0: sense. But the issue you got there is it wasn't as strong as it could have been. Mm. (laughs) And this the British and Americans didn't actually know. So... What is a rigid airship? Do you know?
2: It's uh, essentially a, a modified version of a blimp or a hot air balloon.
0: Okay. So. You're right. I mean, there are two types of airship. There's one called a blimp and one called a rigid. Right. And the blimp is basically a steerable balloon. Um, yeah. We've got them nowadays. They're like the, the Goodyear airship is, is, is a, a, a blimp. Yeah. But a rigid airship... Is one that has a massive America, um, massive metal framework around it, and individual gas bags inside. Right. Okay. Now, you then got all of that, and you cover it with an outer an outer skin. Now, these airships realistically had a cruising height of about sixteen hundred or eighteen hundred feet.
2: So well within shooting range. Yeah. yeah. Which
0: is why the Ameri- the german airship
2: could go higher could
0: go higher it was modified we didn't realize that at the time the american airships that we're going to talk about on this this hour uh, were actually designed to operate at less than 2000 feet okay now due to an inc- uh, a decrease in exterior air pressure as an airship goes up the gas bag inside expands and as a result these ships are all fitted with pressure valves to vent off any excess gas so that the bags don't expand too much. And on American ships, they were designed to vent at about 2,800 feet, and that's what they call a pressure height. That comes into f- into play a little bit later. Right, okay. All right, so, you, so you now know what a pressure height is. It's about 20, 2,800 feet. Uh, the U.S. decided that their airships would ha- be a massive advantage for their uh, their Navy. And it, you've got to remember, it's the the age before radar. Yeah. So you had to be able to see a, what, what you were going to hit. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see how that would be. Mm. So they could fly above the American fleet. They could stay up in the air for days. And the U.S. decided that five airships would be the optimum number that they needed for the mm-hmm. for the armed forces. Three would be built in the US and one would be built in Germany. The fifth one was the R-38. They'd buy it from us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the US ordered their first ship, the Shenandoah, and designated it the R... ZR-S1. The ZR-S1. Yeah. Okay. And that they ordered July 1919. Yeah. Okay. That date is kind of significant because that makes it the ZR-1. It's the one that they ordered. Okay. Right. In October that year, they decided they were going to buy the British version of that German airship that was shot down. Okay. The R-38. So so they had two. So they had two. So the British airship then became the ZR-2. Okay. Yeah. Now, the British decided, yeah, we'll sell it to you. And they sold it. They, they sold it while it was still under construction. So we hadn't actually flown it. We just built it. We were halfway through building it, and and they sold it to the to the Americans for three hundred thousand pounds.
2: Wow! And in nineteen nineteen, that's a lot that's of. That's a lot of money, especially seeing as there's no proof it works.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's kind of what happened. Um, <laughs> August 1921, in fact, 24th of August 1921, (laughs) during its fourth test flight over Hull, which is up your way. Yes, yeah, not far, just over the river. It broke in half.
2: Brilliant. (laughs) And they'd already paid for
0: it. The Americans had already paid for it, yeah. And it killed 39 of its 44-man crew. Wow. It's not a good start.
2: No, well, at least we got the money for it, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Americans were too happy about that, but no, anyway. Wouldn't be. But we—that's that, that's that's the ZR2. So we'll go to the ZR1 and the Shenandoah, as they named it, was the first airship ever to be built in the US. Uh, Shenandoah means daughter of the stars.
2: Oh. I just know it from the uh, um, the song. West Virginia. <laughs> now, right. That's the only reason I know it's a river is because of that song as well.
0: Right. Um, she wasn't small. At 680 feet long and 78 feet wide at the widest point. That's a big, big yeah, bag big. of gas, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's big. Um, but the ship only weighed 35 tons.
2: Yeah, it's amazing how light they were considering the size of them.
0: Now, it was designed to have 20 uh, uh, gas bags filled inside and the framework was made of uh, duralumium. Okay, it's a type of aluminium. I say aluminium because I'm British... Americans would call it aluminum. Yeah,
2: well, they don't pr- they don't spell it properly. They remove an I. That's why.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's, it's aluminum. It's got uh, when they first designed it, they designed it with six petrol engines. They decided they didn't need six, so they reduced it down to five, and they were all attached to the outside of this airship.
2: That was quite common, though. They did tend to be yeah outside. Yeah, yeah. They
0: were all outside. Um, also, outside was a control car. Now. <laughs> Although they the, they'd worked out over the years with the Germany and the hydrogen problems that, that they had, um, they decided to fill it with helium. Okay. Now, the R34, when it crashed, had hydrogen in it. Yeah. Explosive gas. That burns. Yeah. So uh, not a good idea. So they decided to fill it with helium. Now... At the time, helium was $55 per 1,000 cubic feet. <laughs> this thing had 2.1 million cubic feet. Wow. Okay. So it cost a lot to fill it with helium. Um, the other thing was the US at the time was the only place in the world that had helium.
2: I was going to say, I remember reading something about that when uh, when we did the R101, and obviously that was filled with hydrogen. And I sort of thought, why did they not do it? And I remember reading that the only place you could get helium
0: at this time mm-hmm. was America. I mean, and, and this one airship took up most of the world's supply of helium. <laughs> Just the one airship. Wow. So <laughs> It's, it's not... I mean... <sighs> she was she was the first ever rigid airship to be filled with this gas but but helium also kills people yeah all
2: right just um
0: you can't breathe it and it has no smell it does change your voice though it does if you have a little bit all right so what the what what the um americans did is they put the They made the gas bags out of something called gold, gold beater, and that put a smell in the helium.
2: Okay, that makes sense.
0: So they could then find out if there was a leak. Um, and they adopted a buddy system for its airships, so and nobody was allowed to work in the upper part of the airship by the gas bags alone. Everybody was paired up, and when one person became lightheaded or disorientated, the other would be able to assist them to a... A safer location, further into the ship, yeah, yeah further down. Makes sense. So, twenty fourth of August, nineteen twenty three, the ZR one was launched officially. Nineteen twenty three. So it That's took them remember, a few years. Five to build. years yeah. after the end of the First World War.
2: Yeah, it took them a few years to build it and get it right. And
0: it took two hundred and seventy eight ground crew to hold her on the ground when wow. the lines were, were removed. So she's in a shed, she's floating free. Yeah. But to keep her on the ground and make sure that everything was okay, there were 200-plus people holding her down, 278. Wow. There's a rule with balloons and airships. Yeah. Always keep one foot on the ground. That is the number one rule. Anything else goes, one foot on the ground. So if you're on a, a line, that's what you do. Yeah, well, yeah. That kind of
2: makes sense. So.
0: That will come into play a little bit later. It's a long flight otherwise. <laughs> yeah. All right, so she was now floating free in this specially built construction hangar at Lakehurst, Hur- New-, Lake New Jersey. Same place later on as the Hindenburg. It's the American Airship Airbase. All right. At the time it was built, this particular hangout was the largest room in the world. 966 feet long, 350 feet wide, 224 feet high. Still there?
2: It still exists.
0: Still exists.
2: I'm assuming it's not the biggest in the world right now.
0: Uh, No, I think there's an indoor NFL stadium that's now the biggest room in the world. Indoor, that'd be New Orleans, wouldn't I, it? I've no idea which one it is, but it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's got a, a... It had a floor area of 211,500 feet. And wow. they christened the airship, uh, the Shenandoah, or the USS Shenandoah, in front of 15,000 people on the 10th of October. So they walked it out of the hangar on the 10th of October, 420 sailors, marines and civilians grabbed hold of lines attached to it, walked it out. Hmm. So they walked it out and they decided to moor it. And then they christened it.
2: Okay, that makes sense.
0: I mean, the Germans had been using airships for years and the Americans hadn't. And it <laughs> there was a very, very steep learning curve on this. I think the American commanders at the time expected far too much from their airships. There's a hangar to keep it out of the wind and everything else yeah. when they're working on it. When they are going to use it, they will pull it out of the hangar and they put it onto a, a mooring mast and tie it at the front mm-hmm. end. Yeah, so nose. Yeah? So it's, it's a, You see pictures of these like towers with the airship sticking out at the yeah, top of it. It's yeah, it's like a
2: mini Eiffel tower. And yeah. It's attached at the nose.
0: They pulled it out to the mooring mast. The ship was expected to be there for a whole week with only a skeleton crew on board while they sorted everything out. And... The test that they were going to do with it began on the 12th of January. But uh, there were high winds predicted on that day. They arrived with rain on the 16th. Okay. And towards the early evening, these gusts of wind hit 80 mile an hour. Now, it damaged the upper fin on the ship because it wasn't designed for 80, 80 mile an hour winds. No, it won't be. They decided that because it was attached at the front end and it's getting buffeted about, they're going to release it and let it fly. (laughs) Um, They're going to try and get out of the storm. I mean, if it takes takes 400 people to to, to walk it out, you're going to need 400 people to walk it back. So you can see they're thinking, let's let it go. It's got a crew on it. We'll let it fly, fly out, and it can, it can. Um,
2: <laughs> it sounds like a disaster waiting to happen.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it was actually. I mean, before they, they could actually um, get it ready, <laughs> the wind caught it, and it went uh, off on its own. It basically ripped the nose cone out of it. Brilliant! So then we got the Shenandoah bouncing across the field. It's like. And a seven hundred foot balloon bouncing across the field, it cleared the trees bordering the field, and the crew that were in it, the skeleton crew, took two hours to regain some form of control.
2: Wow! Oh, so it wasn't like an instant, like explosion, like you'd like the Hindenburg, that sort of thing. It no, was, it, it, so they the, did actually manage to get a bit they, of control over they, they it. They
0: got some control over it, and uh, eventually. It uh, the wind died down and they go, uh, but it travelled fifty five miles. Wow! <laughs> um, it took a further six hours to get the ship back to Lakehurst, and and technically that was the twelfth flight that the ship ever made. <laughs> is that classed as a flight? <laughs> oh, yeah, they did class it as a flight. Now, once it was repaired, the, the the ship made a load of flights all over the US. The US government thought, yeah, this is absolutely brilliant. It's the dogs. It, uh, I don't know if you Americans would understand that.
2: Probably not. No. Yeah. Dogs bollocks. No. Yeah. It means it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it, mean, it means it's good. They're, they're happy with it.
0: Yeah. Um, so they uh, they actually commissioned the German Zeppelin company to build another airship. Yeah. And they turned around and said, "We ain't paying for it. The Germans are as as part of reparations for the First <laughs> World War." <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the Germans were just told to, to build another ship for them. Brilliant. So uh, that one became, well, the the Germans designated it as LZ-126, but it became the ZR-3, and it was called the Los Angeles. Um, And it was flown over the Atlantic in October 1924 by a German crew. Okay. But it was filled with hydrogen at that time. Uh, Due to the very small amount of helium in the world, the Americans had to deflate the Shenandoah, and put the gas into the Los Angeles.
2: Right, okay. They didn't
0: have enough gas for both of them. Right. Yeah. So the Shenandoah laid it up. They they, they stuck it in the shed, and they took the gas out of it. Now, the commanding officer at the time was a bloke called Zachary Lansdowne, and he made some modifications to the ship. And as we mentioned before, the pressure in the gas bags increases as the ship goes up. And to prevent them burning, the relief valves were, were were installed. There are two types: automatic and manual. Okay. The manual valves are controlled from the control car beneath the balloon, and they were in the Shenandoah. They fitted eighteen automatic valves, which operated only when the pressure in the bag, the gas bag, exceeded the design limit. Yeah.
2: That makes sense, so if if they haven't manually got rid of it, then the pressure: Lansdowne
0: took it upon himself to have 10 of these 18 valves removed.: Well, that doesn't sound clever.
2: The automatic ones <laughs> the automatic
0: ones, yeah. Right, okay. um, his reasoning was probably that they didn't want to vent helium into the air, which is what you would do on a hydrogen ship. You'd mm. vent it to the air. There's no way of storing it on the ship. Yeah. So it, the helium had to be vented to the air. And it, obviously he didn't want to do that. So uh that was it. A- another reason he could have been uh that um they they they're not light things these valves. They were quite heavy. And you could lighten the ship. Or
2: he just thought that his crew was superior and wouldn't miss an opportunity to do it manually and
0: Yeah. Anyway the Americans had the Los Angeles traveling around the country and doing what it was doing. The Shenandoah was reinflated when enough helium had been created by the U.S. Yeah, and uh, she was used for naval scouting. And in 1924, she completed a whole trip across North America, and was the first rigid airship to do so. Uh, 1925. Mm. Uh, she uh, worked for the U.S. scouting fleet and she was extremely successful. The Shenandoah was a good ship. Uh, 2nd of September 1925, she went on promotional flights to the Midwest. Okay. Now, the aim on this, the promotional side of things, was for the Shenandoah and the Los Angeles to visit at least 40 cities, state fairs going f- you know all yeah. over all over the midwest i'd love
2: to go to an american state fair
0: yeah um now Lansdowne was from the midwest and he is aware and anybody over in the the us that lives in that area will know that um the weather over that time of year isn't the greatest mm, no it, it 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 would cause problems you know you've got hot bursts you've got yeah yeah um and they're not what airships are designed for no so he wrote to the um, the navy and explained his reasons that realistically could they delay the two ships going Mm
2: -hmm.
0: they were rejected they went on your bike
2: it's going to happen we've got this we're telling you you're going
0: yeah so half past three in the morning third of september 1925 the Shenandoah was over ohio Ohio? Yeah.
2: Is that how you pronounce it?
0: Ohio, yeah. Yeah, Ohio.
2: Near Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> She's in the middle of a storm. It's half past three in the morning. Yeah, she'd yes. been battling with a storm for most of the night when there was a massive updraft. Now, an updraft is where the wind goes down, hits the ground, bounces back up, and you're caught. It's like a like a lift. Yeah. American for, el- uh, yeah, English for elevator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, got, I'm getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. I'm getting there slowly, right? Now, the automatic valves were capable of handling a rise, roughly of 400 feet per minute. Okay. Yeah, the Shenandoah rose a thousand feet per minute. Wow! So it's pretty. Two two and a half times faster than the valves could actually cope with. Had there been the 18 valves there instead of the 10, you might not have had a problem, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) So, it couldn't cope. The bags expanded, and a ship broke into three parts.
2: Yeah, you can see that happening.
0: The control car was ripped from underneath, went straight to the ground, killed everybody inside, including Captain Lansdowne, and a three- Separate parts all floated off, bumping into trees and the ground. And, and they all fell to the ground about six miles from the breakup. It was completely destroyed, killed 14 people, 29 people survived. Wow. Not a good one. No,
2: no, it doesn't sound great. It was her 57th flight. See, now that's not bad when you think the R101 went down on its first flight. Yeah. So, you know, 57 flights. I mean, we, we know from history now that these these don't work. But
0: that's 57 flights, that's not a bad... It's not bad, yeah. Not too bad. Los Angeles carried on, was still flying. Uh, despite the loss of the Shenandoah, the US didn't give up on airships. Two further ones were planned, the ZR4 and the 5. Uh, design improvements were made. Now, bearing in mind the Shenandoah was also based on the high-flying German airship back in 1917. So, obviously, it's gone up too high. It's it's, it's got weaknesses built into it. Yeah. So, they improved those, and you have the ZR-4 and the ZR-5. For this, the Americans moved the engines inside. Okay. Okay. That's not normal. So the engines were inside. Well, conventional. There was a shaft going out to a propeller. Okay. And the propeller could rotate. So you could go up, you could go down, you could go backwards, you could go forwards. 360 principle, degree yeah, propeller.
2: principle sounds right. But yeah. It's not conventional
0: for these. It made them far more manoeuvrable, but that's not the most impressive thing. Go on. They put aircraft inside them. Inside? Okay. They made these airships. Flying aircraft carriers, brilliant! That's actually five scout aircraft. That's quite a good
2: idea, yeah. Especially if they're being commissioned for the navy.
0: There are photographs of these Sparrowhawk aircraft Mm. inside the airship and landing on the airship. You say landing on the airship, but what they did is they had a hook dangling from the airship, yeah, and a bar on the top wing because these were biplanes. Aeroplane matched the speed of the airship crept along hooked itself on once it was hooked on it was winched inside the aircraft uh, inside the airship
2: See that's a really clever idea <laughs> I I do you know what I had this image then of the, the the plane being a lot faster than the airship and the the pilot getting whiplash as it hits the hook Yeah but yeah no it makes more sense that they'd slow the aircraft down to get them in
0: Yeah So yeah they named these two airships, the Akron and the Macon. Okay. I've heard of those names before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Akron's maiden flight, 2nd of November 1931. Okay. And she, on that, the next day, she actually carried 207 people. Hmm. Um, and that was to prove that they could, in an emergency, transport large number of troops. two 200-odd yeah. troops. They were still... Lighter than air, they're unpredictable in wind. Twenty <laughs> second uh, of February, nineteen thirty two, as uh, the Akron was being taken out of the hangar, uh, the tail moorings broke, and she just swung around on the nose. Right. Uh, at seven hundred and eighty feet long, it was a little bit difficult for um, to stop her from actually moving. So. Uh,
2: so. It- is that sort of like the way I'm imagining this is sort of if you put your phone on the corner and just span it around in a big circle that yeah. Sort of, yeah
0: it's that sort of thing they're walking this ship out and it's gone
2: nose down and just span around on and the it's nose. gone
0: the, the the tail end is whipped round
2: bloody hell yeah that's yeah. not going to be easy to stop
0: unfortunately if you look at an airship it has four fins at the back one sticking up one sticking down and two sticking out either side yeah yeah the one at the back, sticking down, hit the ground. Oh, Considerable amount of damage done to it.
2: Yeah, I can imagine.
0: Yeah. So, there is a video for that on YouTube. I may have to watch that after this. <laughs> it's quite fun, actually, to, to watch. Now, it was April before they could actually get the airship to fly again. Um, but they modified... The ground that the ship was to be walked out on, and put it, and made a turntable and a, uh, a beam that it couldn't be moved from. So it was uh, they they sorted the problem out, but it yeah. took took that accident to work out. Now, the Akron left Lakehurst on the eighth of May, nineteen thirty-two, for a, a trip to California. It took three days, and it reached. Uh, Camp Kearney in San Diego on the morning of the eleventh of May tried to land
2: i 'm guessing tried is the operative word uh, that? tried is yeah. the operative word on this
0: <laughs> now <laughs> there are well, at the time there were no trained ground crew handlers or a mooring mast at Kear- uh, Camp Kearney. Now that makes the landing extremely dangerous and and stupid. Funnily enough, yeah, yeah. So, during the time it took the ship's crew to evaluate the situation, the helium gas gets warmed by the sunlight that increases the lift. Coupled with the amount of fuel already used, she was 36 tons light.
2: So, it's just going up then,
0: yeah. So, it's difficult to keep it on the ground, yeah, yeah. Um, as with all airships, cable is dropped first. You see that on if you watch the um the Hindenburg they drop the front line first that does two things one it lands on the ground so that some something can get hold of it two it earths the airship no electric no static electricity because yeah. it automatically earths it yeah
2: yeah that makes sense
0: um, once the ship had been earthed the ground crew then move in take hold of all the lines that are dropped and attach it to the main mooring mast and then they wind the ship in yeah okay that's the idea Uh, Lines were dropped from the Akron's nose. Main line was secured on the ground. And the ground crew took hold of all the lines. Now, the ship was too light, so the tail end of it started to go up. Yeah. You've got, in order to prevent this ship from standing on its nose, they released the forward line.
2: Okay. So they've can, res- yeah, they've secured
0: can, the nose of the ship. Yeah. The tail, because it's so light, the ship, all the lightness now goes to the back, and the tail starts to rise. Right. So rather than getting it standing on its nose and everything falling to the front of the, the ship, which, to be honest, there is a photograph of an airship in that position, they decided cut losses, release the nose line.
2: So now there's nothing holding
0: it on the So now there, there's nothing holding this ship down.
2: Okay. That wasn't logical.
0: In front of several thousand people, the 200 sailors holding the nose line also let go. <laughs> Except four. Oh dear. Right. Remember what I said right at the beginning? One foot First, on the ground. One foot on the ground. That's all. Yeah, that, that is the only. 100% rule with handling any balloon one foot on the ground four of them didn't one let go immediately he fell 15 feet and broke his arm okay all right the other three held on
2: <laughs> well i mean i'm assuming the fact that he let go and still fell 15 feet means it didn't that, go that went up fucking it quick. went up quick yeah
0: oh it went up quick there was uh, aviator, aviation carpenter's mate, third class, Robert Edsel, clung onto the rope. Um, eventually, he fell from 150 feet.
2: I'm guessing he didn't survive
0: that. He died. Yeah. Seconds later, apprentice seaman Henton, Nigel Henton, he fell. This is on YouTube. The video of this accident is on YouTube. If you type in, I think, USS Akron cas- catastrophe 1932, it'll come up, yeah?
2: Okay.
0: That leaves one person attached to the front of this line with this airship going up and up. He is 16 years old, and his, his name is uh, Charles Budd. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he held onto the line. He's managed to stay on that line. Bloody hell. He's held on to that line. Uh, the airship flew at about 2,000 feet. Jeez. He's, his rope is 400 feet long. So he is hanging on a rope 400 feet below the airship, which is travelling at 2,000 feet.
2: So he's still 1,600 feet above the ground. Yeah. Phew, that's a long way down.
0: Two hours later, the Akron crew pulled him aboard. Wow. They managed to get to him and pull him aboard. He survived.
2: He survived. Bloody hell. That's a hell of a story, though, to tell, isn't it, afterwards? Can you imagine?
0: Yeah. It's, It's absolutely brilliant. So... Anyway, uh, that, that's the, it's the that's one thing on the Akron. Um, there was another minor incident, 22nd of August, when the um, tail fin actually hit the hangar while it was being taken inside. So uh, that was uh, <laughs> taking it inside to its, it, it's, its thing. Know. So it, they, These these airships are... We call the aeroplanes flimsy. These yeah. things weren't just as good as really they could unpredictable, be. unpredictable, aren't they? They are. But uh, the, the Akron survived that year anyway and 1933 she uh, resumed working on the um on the the, the lines lines and then on the bits so we're now going to move into 1933 at half past seven in the evening on the third of april the akron cast off them from the mooring mast at lake Hurst. she was going to operate along the coast of new england and she was going to assist radio radio detection radar tests she had one of these big bods on board, uh, Rear Admiral Moffat, and he was like one of the big, big people in, in airships. He was, yeah. he he was the one that basically got the airships into the uh, American Navy. And unfortunately for the uh, for uh, the Akron, she encountered fog at three hundred feet. Okay, so she went upwards. And eventually, actually, she came out of the fog around about 1,500 feet, and there was another bank- blanket of clouds directly above uh, 5,000 feet, which the rain was coming in. And so she had to spend the night flying between 1,500 and 2,000 feet. Now bearing in mind, 2,000 feet is it's basically almost life. the top of its thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the height that. She- and she had to do that to stay above the fog. She had enough fuel for five days. She had enough food and water for that amount of time, uh, but the fog extended out to sea. So the commander, uh, I think it's Frank McCord, he decided to head west. Uh, he heard over the radio the visibility was better, so he decided he was going to head head west, um, and from there he decided to change course to follow the Delaware River because it's easier to follow rivers yeah, at night. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. Uh, about half past eight in the evening, they saw lightning uh, slightly to the south. So they increased the speed of the airship and in order to try and outrun it, to be honest
2: outrun it not just turn away from it they decided to play chicken with the lightning yeah
0: and outrun it
2: right okay <laughs> uh,
0: by 10 o'clock the lightning was increasing and it was heading towards the ship now you've got fog below you've got rain above you've got lightning they're in a storm yeah so his intention now was to oh shit we're going to head back out to sea before we go back into land Okay. So we will try and go round it. Uh, the Akron continued following the journey. She was in clouds, driving rain, and basically the, the wind became just too much. About quarter past midnight, uh, there was a massive downdraft. So basically it's the opposite of what happened years before. You got a downdraft, which is the wind going down. Yeah. Yeah. That hit the nose... They decided that they were going to uh, drop ballast. Now, airships, in order to balance, or to, if they were going too heavy, they had containers of water, and they dropped the water, and that lightened the airship. Mm -hmm. They dropped 1,600 pound of ballast.
2: That's a lot.
0: That's a lot of water. Ship leveled out. Uh, but she was now only seven hundred feet above the water. Oh, yeah, it's out at sea now, isn't it? She's out at sea, seven hundred feet above the water. Uh, above the water, she was seven hundred and eighty-five foot long.
2: Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you don't even think about that. It's so like, she was. She's got no manoeuvrability now.
0: No, she has got none whatsoever. The ship was that close to the sea. They, the, the ultimate was actually incorrect. It was reading a thousand feet. Uh, not the 700. Uh, but the commander ordered everybody to uh, landing stations. So there's 18 telephone points inside the ship where engineers and crew members pick up the, these things and if it rings you answered it. Yeah, so yeah. their communication system. They rang the alarms five times. It started to climb. It's... Going up from 700 feet, it reaches 800 feet, and then the tail starts to drop. Answer to that: you've lost all, you've dumped all your water. Run to the front of the ship. All the crew run to the front. It'll put the weight towards the front of it, much yeah. like a submarine balancing it out. Yeah? yeah, yeah, same sort of, same sort of theory. Engines full power, nothing whatsoever. Tail fin hits the water yeah no go once the tail fin hits the water That's it floods down. it floods into the auxiliary control room it's not a calm sea and they're in the middle of a a storm the 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 waves rip the tail fin away engines running they come down the airship hit the water sank immediately freezing water three survivors See now,
2: that's I, I know that's bad, but that's quite impressive that someone actually survived.
0: Oh, three. One of them, one of them was the second in command,
2: but I'm assuming did the rear admiral die on that? He did. See, that's what I mean. You, you know, you're talking there someone quite high up in the navy, and
0: mm-hmm. the the Akron hit the water. Seventy six people on board, three survivors. Wow! It is the world's worst airship disaster
2: Not the world's most famous though
0: Not the most famous, but it is the world's worst. It was the Akron's 73rd flight See again, that's
2: a hell of a good fit. considering, like I said that we know now, they're shit <laughs> they don't work yeah. they're not, they're not I, good.
0: The Akron still holds two records it was the largest helium filled lighter than air airship ever, and it was the highest death toll of any airship disaster. Wow. As a side note, the the navy airship was a it was a blimp um, looking for survivors actually crashed, killing both crew. So, <laughs> so, so in like, effect, <laughs> it it, really? it killed two extra afterwards. Oh
2: dear, well, that's mental, isn't it?
0: The navy blamed the commander for not taking into account the weather warnings from earlier in the day,
2: right. and and
0: the fact that he turned back into the storm to try and get away from it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, the thing is, you notice a lot in military blunders throughout history, it's a lot easier to blame the person who's dead. You know, I, I always remember mm. the Charge of the Light Brigade when they blamed Cardigan because he was the first one to get shot on the battlefield. They went, it's his fault, and he can't yeah. defend himself. So it's that sort of, mm. uh, we blame the blame the one who's
0: died. The Macon started life the same day as the Akron. Right, yeah. okay and took to the sky two years later. But her first flight wasn't until the 21st of April, 1933, which is 18 days after the Akron went down. So they were never actually in the air together, these two flying aircraft carriers.
2: But they, they were commissioned on the same day, but one, obviously... They
0: well, you one crashed home. before the other one yeah. took flight, yeah. Um, she was a lot more successful. She had one incident in April 1934 over Texas um the the tail was damaged, and uh, it was uh, it was a little bit damaged to rough air there's a lot of rough air causing damage to these things. The um, incident over Texas brought out a uh, a sort of weakness in the design so they put modifications to three of the fins, but they delayed the repair to the upper fin the the one that points upwards because mm-hmm. they needed the airship out. You know, it's quite a famous airship to make on, and I mean, yeah, at,
2: I have heard of it.
0: I mean, at one point, it was um, <laughs> it dropped a newspaper onto the USS Houston. the uh, the president President Roosevelt was on, and he was coming back from a holiday in Hawaii. The airship buzzed the ship and dropped the latest newspaper onto the <laughs> uh, onto the deck of the ship. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is for the nineteen thirties. You know.
2: Yeah, it's quite an impressive little feat.
0: Oh yeah. On the twentieth of April, thirty-five, the Macon suffered some structural damage in, in turbulence, and it was repaired in flight. But what was needed was strengthening the tail fin mounts again, and it took well several days to actually repair them. And they did the three again, but not the, the top one. Now yeah, it, it took nine days to reinforce these 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 things. So the Macon's taken off again, fleet training exercise off the Californian coast.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, She did the task. No problem at all. She's doing what she's supposed to do. She started to head back towards Sunnyvale, which obviously I'm assuming is in California. I don't actually know.
2: No, I haven't got a clue.
0: No, but somebody will have. Um, Time's about three o'clock in the afternoon, en route. Again, the weather and visibility deteriorates, fog and rain. Now, Lieutenant Wiley, who had been on the Akron.
2: Yeah, one of the survivors. One
0: of the three survivors tried to duck underneath the fog.
2: Yeah, well, the, considering he was on the the one that went down when they decided to outrun the lightning and go over the fog, it kind of makes sense to...
0: It, it's, it sort of I does. I can see
2: the logic there. He's been yeah. on one.
0: So, five o'clock in the afternoon, it starts a shallow dive. It's a normal occurrence under the conditions... The ship was in uh, a slight haze. So it's not clear visibility, but good enough. Commander's given the order. Left rudder. 1705. Person turning the wheel. Turned the wheel five degrees. Mm -hmm. Wind caught it. Rudder spun out of his hands. And it went to the right. Brilliant. Turn left, we're going right. Yeah? Yeah. Two men... Checking the upper part of the ship, at the same time heard a crashing sound. Both men ran forwards along the upper keel walkway, which is right at the top of the ship, to the back. And the back started to go down, so we now got the ship going down backwards. It's getting this angle is getting worse, but eventually they reach one of the telephones. Now the telephone was to be honest, out for just for sheer sort of knowledge, the telephone was at frame 57. Not that that means anything to anybody, but it was there. They attempted to report to the bridge that they'd heard something, they were investigating it, and they didn't know what it was. But the line was busy. When they did get there, they found that the tail fin had actually collapsed, the one that they hadn't reinforced. Um it collapsed off to one side and punctured three of the ga- three of the gas bags so that's not good it definitely isn't good and we are in a situation like the titanic got three gas bags down the front end is going to go up yeah cuz it's going to be much lighter
2: yeah of course
0: emergency countermeasures were deployed because they managed to get through to the bridge and sort uh, tell them what was going on and they, uh, they did what they could, and they ran the engines at full power. The ship started to gain height, but it kept going. It reached its pressure height and kept going, Ooh. eventually reaching 4,850 feet.
2: Okay, that's twice what they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah, well, more than, more twice. than twice. And the automatic valves, which hadn't been removed like the Akron, because they learnt that lesson. Decided it's over the 2,800 feet. It's going to dump some gas. So oh dear, it, uh, it dumped the gas and down she went. It took 20 minutes for it to reach the sea. That's a long way down. Yeah. So they weren't going straight down like an aeroplane. It was gently going down, but there's naff all they can do about it. That's they've, probably
2: worse though, isn't they've it? They've
0: dumped everything. They've got no more water ballast. They've got nothing that they can throw out to keep this airship up in the air. So she starts to go down. The last message sent was from the commander, we'll abandon ship as soon as we land on the water. We are somewhere 20 miles off of Point Sir, probably 10 miles out to sea. Now, following the Akron, the Macon had been issued with life jackets. Every crew had a life jacket. That's good. 20 minutes, everybody had time to put a life jacket on. Yeah. They had the life rafts ready. So when the tail fin hit the water at 1739, I know it exactly, 76 members of crew, how many do you think survived?
2: Well... On the basis of the last one, that only three survived, I would say the death toll's
0: got to be pretty high. Funnily enough, exactly the opposite. Ah. 74 people out of 76 survived. Two died.
2: What makes a difference, obviously, in having a few more precautions put in
0: place. One of them that died was a radio operator... Um, And he jumped before the ship hit the water. So he jumped when the ship was too high.
2: Yeah.
0: And the second person to die was uh, the mess attendant because he drowned when he swam back into into the ship to retrieve personal belongings.
2: So actually, in reality, all all of them could have survived. survived Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That the
0: Macon sunk beneath the waves fairly quickly. It was her 54th flight. See, again, that's pretty decent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Pretty decent flying. But the Macon had logged over 1,000, nearly 1,800 hours in the air and had done over 90,000 miles.
2: Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot, yeah.
0: But that, unfortunately, was the end of um, the Americans' sort of rigid airships. Um, I mean, Germany persevered with them for a further two years until the LZ-129. And that's the Hindenburg. And that's the Hindenburg. And that was landing at Lakehurst, which was the home of all the others. Because of the incidents, the Los Angeles was actually a a viable airship. She was still flying. Uh, They decommissioned her in 1932. Uh, They recommissioned her after the u s s Akron and she flew for years she made three hundred and thirty one flights
2: and it's still Hey well, eventually friendly. it
0: was it eventually it was uh, taken apart
2: that's mental
0: but so it it done... didn't uh, it didn't crash the los angeles
2: that's correct i mean to be fair i mean the 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 rate of, the amount of airships that were actually built and the amount that crashed, they were they were a terrible, terrible design of, wow.
0: It, I mean, since the first days of the conception of it, of airships, the US Navy spent tens of millions of dollars and over a hundred people died to prove that they were dangerous. Yeah. They were vulnerable to unpredictable weather. The Americans had to gain a vast amount of experience in uh, powered balloons and blimps, uh, and they managed to perfect a flying aircraft carrier, which was, to be honest, the only time of it. Uh, <laughs> out of but wartime. It, again, it just turned out to be a weapon that was more dangerous to its own crew than it actually was to the enemy.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're brilliant things to look at, and I think I would love to see one with modern technology. Just to see... Cause, I mean, I mean... You don't get aircraft that are 700 feet long. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'd
0: love to have seen one.
2: Yeah, do you know what I mean? I think they're wonderful things, but just so dangerous. And you could probably do it with modern technology where it's less flammable, it's Mm. less dangerous. And, you know, they've probably got lighter metals now than aluminium and things like that. So there's probably ways of doing it. But, yeah, as a general rule, they were pretty pretty bad (laughs) Pretty they bad things. They weren't a good design. No, no,
0: no. They weren't. They weren't the best. No, but there we are. That's that's the American airships for yeah. you. Yeah. Well,
2: America seemed to have a better time with it than the British did because ours were pretty fucking bad. I mean, well, ours didn't even get over to France without going down. So. No. Um, yeah, ours weren't weren't the best, but obviously they had a slightly better time than we did. And it's funny to think that. When You put a picture of an airship up, your immediate reaction is to go to Hindenburg, yeah. Um, because uh, it's the one
0: everyone knows, yeah.
2: I mean, like, so I'd never heard, of, I mean, I don't know if um, America use um, uh, the Macon and Akron in different things like modern day things or if it was used because I've heard of those names before, yeah. So, I don't know, you know, like, we have for example, um, we were talking about it earlier, the, the Royal Oak. Uh, we had a ship called the Royal Oak, HMS Royal Oak in World War One. We also had an aircraft carrier, HMS Royal Oak, that was, you know, finished a few years ago. So um, I don't know if it's something that they reproduced afterwards, which is why I know the name, because I didn't actually know they had, had air, you know, airships. A lot of people
0: don't realise that the Americans actually had airships. No. But they did, and they were reasonably successful when they were flying.
2: Yeah, they didn't seem too bad. No. So well, there we go. Something for me to learn as well. So uh, I hope you all have enjoyed that. Um, Just for a a quick shout out before we go, um, we have well, not we. uh, Dad has a fair few episodes that he wants uh, that we want to cover in the, the. I would say in the future. I would say probably more of the immediate future um, some really really good episodes that will be coming um, ones that are going to be new for me, some of them I know little bits about, some of them are ones that I had uh, thought of and we we discussed uh, some of them like I said are completely new, like this one for me was completely new so um, I know you guys always enjoy it when we do these so keep your ears posted because there will be more of these, sh- uh, these type of shows going out in the near future. So thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. And remember, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. Mary redeemed a
1: $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun,
0: so winning was a dream come true.
1: Chumba Casino was America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Duncan's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it! We time-traveled to yesterday! Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an 8-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means any Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold-brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished a new sunroom, Mr. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows. So you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? See?